I am New York City-based psychotherapist Nikita Banks, a licensed social worker, and I am your host of the Black Therapist Podcast, formerly Black in Therapy. Black Therapist Podcast is a podcast where we discuss the unique issues people of color face when dealing with mental health issues and mental health diagnosis. You can listen to us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Google Play, and wherever podcasts can be played. Follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Black in Therapy and on Instagram and YouTube at Black Therapist Podcast. Sign up for our mailing list or contact us at blacktherapistpodcast.com. Email feedback, general show suggestions, general show suggestions, guests, and show topics at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. If you like the shows, comment, like, especially leave us comments on SoundClowns and iTunes, follow and share. Welcome to our first show of 2018. Now, what do social workers like me, Barack Obama, and MLK have in common? We are all community organizers. So social work, I know a lot of people think that we are just social workers or people who work for welfare or people who take people's children. But social work is a dynamic career. As you've been listening to this show, you can know that I'm part of what I do is I am a psychotherapist, which means I can diagnose and treat people who have mental health issues and mental health illness and help them gain strategies in their lives to improve their situation and reduce their symptoms. But most social work programs in this country, they started as community organizations or people that wanted to work and help invest in their communities. So a lot of schools, my school is not one of them, but a lot of schools have programs where they teach community organizing. And what that is, is they're looking for socially active, civic-minded leaders and community service program developers uh, who want to come in and get their education and learn the way from the ground up how to build a grassroots movement. As we celebrate MLK Day, I felt like it was a great time for me to do this show on how we, whether you're a social worker or not, can become a lot more civically minded and civically engaged. So two years ago, was it two years ago? Last year. Last year, I attended UConn School of Social Work's Campaign School, and it's called Ann Humphrey's Campaign School. And Ann Humphrey is a social work professor at their School of Social Work. And what she decided is that she wanted to help get more social workers elected. And in attending the campaign school, I knew that I always wanted to work on a political campaign. I knew that I didn't want to run for a political campaign, but I feel like I can contribute what I can, my talents and my gifts to help a campaign run. Unfortunately, as of yet, I haven't uh, found a campaign or found a candidate that I really want to back in that capacity. Plus, I'm doing a little bit running my business, but it doesn't stop me from going and becoming civically engaged and working in my community where I can. So part of what I was joined an organization called CRISP. And what CRISP stands for is Congressional Research Institute for Social Work and Policy. And it was started by my hometown uh, congressman, Ed Towns. And what he did was he decided that as a social worker, because he is a, a trained social worker, he wanted to help get social workers more actively engaged in social policy. And so um, I've had the pleasure of going on Capitol Hill 
at least two times in the past few years. And I went last year to advocate for the path of several bills that I'm going to talk about to you today. We advocated for three bills. Um, one we were were against, and that one is the House Resolution 610, which was a crappy Republican bill from Steve King, the racist from Iowa. Um, <laughs> to def- what he wanted to do was to distribute federal funds from elementary and secondary schools in the forms of vouchers for eligible students and to repeal a certain rule relating to nutrition standards in schools. So he didn't want our children to be able or all of our children to be able to be eligible for vouchers. And he wanted to make sure that they can eat whatever they wanted to eat, whether it was nutritional or not. And so the bill had two parts. Number one, Choices in Education Act of 2017, which creates a voucher program to divert federal funding from public schools. That means he wanted to take funds away from public schools. And number two, No Hungry Kids Act, which repeals a rule which established healthy nutritional standards for national school meal programs to make them less costly. And the reason that we were opposing, um, according to what we were advocating for was number one choices in education act of 2017 of all the children in the united states 47.5 million 83 percent of them are in public schools and this part of the bill would take away money from those public schools increasing the already difficult job of keeping schools running and making it more difficult to educate or keep educators accountable and number two in 2015 52 million americans did not have enough to eat Meals at school were provided and they were vital to family. And with the high rates of hunger and poor health in our country, children's food is not an area we should be deregulating or skimping on. And so as a person who ate free lunch in school and as somebody who, who, who knows, I used to be a teacher, that there are a lot of students that come to class hungry and how much it really impacts their, their life, their day, the educational process if we don't provide them with food or a, a healthy, balanced meal at school is just ridiculous. So the fact that this Republican decided that all children were not allowed to eat while they were at school and he wanted to create vouchers to limit the numbers of children to eating is just kind of ridiculous. But this is the Republican Party. The other bill we was in favor of was House Resolution H.R. 1290 and Improving Access to Mental Health Act. And this was sponsored by social worker Representative Barbara Lee, Democrat from the 13th District of California. And what she wanted to do was provide access to mental health services for residents of skilled nursing facilities. And this bill would allow licensed clinical social workers, which I am one of, to be reimbursed as independent Medicare Part B providers for mental health services delivered to beneficiaries that receive skilled nursing facility services under Medicaid and Medicare Part A. Medicare reimbursement. The bill seeks to increase reimbursement rates. LCSWs can bill for Medicare services at 85% of the physician's fees scheduled to put social workers on par with other non-physician practitioners. For example, physical therapists, physician's assistants, and occupational therapists. And this is an increase of 10%. That means that we would be able to bill higher and get paid more for the work and the services that we do. And the third thing that she wanted to do was the bill would allow for LCSW to bill Medicare Part B for critical 
health and behavioral assessments and intervention services. And this will help Medicare beneficiaries cope with the emotional and social concerns that arise because of a medical condition. And the reason for passage, there are more than over 200,000 LCSWs providing mental health services to seniors. Then there are psychiatrists, psychologists, and psychiatric nurses combined. By co-sponsoring and supporting the bill, it will ensure more access than ever for Medicare reimbursement beneficiaries. So, I mean, I could look it up. I haven't. I was able to go around to my own Congress people and my own senators and ask them if they were willing to either co-sponsor the bill or if they wanted to support the bill. And the majority of my people, because, hey, we're Democrats, um, they were already on board. So it really didn't take a lot of convincing or either they had already supported the bill. Now, this bill, as I understand it, had already failed a few times. And it was in the House Ways and Means Committee, referred to Energy and Commerce Ways and Means on three 117. But I'm pretty sure since I didn't get a pay raise that it didn't happen yet. And there was the other policy that we were advocating for was the Dorothy Height Social Work Reinvestment Act, which is HR 1289, or it was when we were advocating for it. And what it would do is it would provide certain funds available that would help us be able to reinvest in social work uh, in various grant areas and in various areas of research so that we would be able to provide quality mental health care throughout the country. So to be perfectly honest with you, when I decided that I was going to be a psychotherapist, social work was not the route that I would have taken. If you listen to my past shows, then you understand that my path to social work was just because as a lot of people who become social workers, I didn't quite understand that I would be able to become a psychotherapist if I would have done my degree and my license and got my advanced license. And I came to this career path not to be a community organizer, although I'm a rabble rouser and a little bit of a troublemaker. Um, and I think that that makes for a great social worker. I um, am an advocate for myself and for others. And so it, it kind of seems like it's a natural fit after thinking about it and learning exactly what social work is. But I, like everybody else, thought that a social worker only meant low wage, low paying jobs where I would have to take people's children and work in welfare. And it wasn't until my therapist gave me the advice of going to school to become a social worker in order to start on my path to private practice and start on my path to becoming a licensed mental health professional did I decide that social work was for me. Number one, I'm a little bit older. Number two, I didn't want to spend a whole bunch of money going to school for six years when I could have done it in three years or two years. And I actually finished my program uh, in my master's program in a year and a half, I took an accelerated program. So that's why I came to social work. I really didn't do it for community organizing. And as I stated, I attended NYU and NYU does not have a community organizing component in their social work program. Actually, they don't even have a large um, social justice program or racism program when you go to that school. And as I understand, because I'm doing some work with Columbia University, which is the oldest social work school in the country, or at least that's what they say, they too are behind the eight ball or behind in the times when it comes to discussing pro poverty, privilege, 
race, and oppression. And so the course at NYU that I know as DROP, which is Diversity, Racism, Oppression, and Privilege in Columbia is called PROPS, is Poverty, Racism, Oppression, and Privilege. I assume, I, I guess that's what it's, it stands for. But as a woman of color in this country and as a social worker specifically, I think it's very important that I utilize my voice, not just as a profession, but as a citizen. And so in the two times that I was able to go to Capitol Hill and meet with my Congress and meet with my senators and legislate and meet with their staffs and talk about the things that I wanted my government to do for me, it kind of surprised me that there were not a lot of black people <laughs> in the building. I saw a lot of cowboy hats. I saw a lot of business suits. I saw a lot of others. And them going in there and advocating and telling their congressmen and their people exactly what they wanted them to do in exchange for their vote. But there wasn't a lot of us, except for the last time that I went in there. Number one, last year when I went there to legislate for the particular bills that I discussed tonight. And if you want to, please look them up, call your congressmen and your people, let them know that if the bill is not dead, if it's still on the Senate floor, if this is something that they're dealing with, let them know that you want them to support it. I'm not sure if in this political climate, anybody is going to do anything, but we all know that 2018, this year, in a few months, there will be midterm elections and we can get rid of all of those jackasses in there who don't want to do what we want them to do. And if you are thinking about really making a change in government, volunteer at a campaign, volunteer to run, do what you can, Get a, go to a phone bank and make some phone calls and do what you can in your community to get your people elected and people who want to do what you want them to do in government. So as I stated, the first time that I went to Capitol Hill, there was literally no black people. I didn't see any. I remember going for a lunch break and going into the lunchroom and feeling super uncomfortable and seeing all of the cowboy hats that I was surrounded in. But this very last time that I went in 2017, there were a few events happening there that I stumbled upon. And one was No More Martyrs. And it was an event that was being held to discuss mental health awareness of for black women. And not only was I delighted to see that we were there advocating for our mental health, I was welcomed and I went in. I didn't have an appointment or anything. I just went in and sat down and was able to really, truly engage in the conversation. And I actually saw some social workers there that I met online and I was able to meet them in person. And that was amazing. But... As I was leaving or preparing to leave, I walked around a hall and I saw a group of black people. And I mean, it startled me a little bit because I was like, I didn't know that there was a meeting and nobody told me. But there was a group of black people that were in the hallway and they were like three rows deep and they were as far as the eye can see. And this is the second time that I've been in there. Actually, the third time I had been in there. But the first time that I had seen so many black people and I was like shocked, so shocked that I took a picture. So I wandered and I went and asked them, you know, what they were doing there and where they were from. And they gave me some literature. And number one, they were not American or they were American citizens who were from Africa and they were from Ethiopia and they were there to support and advocate 
for a resolution supporting respect for human rights and encouraging inclusive governance in Ethiopia. And this was a House resolution that was introduced by Republican Representative Chris Smith, and it was sponsored by Representative Bass, Representative Kaufman, Representative Kelly, who I love, Representative Vesey, and Representative Ellison. And what they were advocating for, there was was the United States government to denounce human rights violations in Ethiopia. Now, first of all, the fact that a Republican was sponsoring this or had, had introduced this had blew my mind. I was like, uh, hello, do y'all not pay attention to what y'all are doing and what political atmosphere we have here in the United States? But I digress. I uh, believe that I went before the election and I was more hopeful about the way things would possibly turn out for the, the election and in this country. But I think that the results of the election and what's happening in this country, if it hasn't already, it should have awakened everybody in this country to become more civic engaged and become more politically active. And so I know for me, I was able to attend the Washington, D.C. rally of the Women's March. And the energy was so crazy and it was so beautiful and it was just Wonderful that I, 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 like everybody else, I believe that was there, just kind of needed to go out into the streets and just voice our disapproval of this election and this pig that has been elected by a segment of the, the American people. And there's so much that we need to do in order to counteract the, the crap that has been unleashed in this country by a segment of the Americans who don't give a damn about everybody else or anybody else that could have elected boo-boo the fool. So if you are not engaged and you are not politically active as of now, I don't know what to tell you. And if, if now is the time for you, then do everything in your power to get out there and register people to vote, encourage the people around you to vote, go out there and support candidates that will support you and your community and go and, and get in these candidates face and make some time with them and tell them what's important to you and tell them what's important to your family and allow them to earn your vote. We have to do what we have to do. We get all of the American privileges and what we don't do is we don't get out there and get engaged in the process. And so now is the time to get engaged in the process. So to bring this back to Dr. King, in May of 1967, Dr. King had, right before he was assassinated, he started talking a little bit more about moving away from civil rights and moving into civic engagement in a way that would elevate everybody out of poverty. And in his speech, he said, I think it is necessary for us to realize that we have moved from the area of civil rights to the area of human rights. When we see that there must be a radical redistribution of economic and political power, then we see that for the last 12 years, we have been in a reform movement that after Selma and the voting rights bill, we moved into a new era, which must be an era of revolution. In short, we have moved into an era where we called upon to raise certain basic questions about the whole society. And part of that was the poor people's campaign. And what he wanted to do is he wanted to make this an issue of raising people, 
not just black people, not just people of color, out of poverty, but everybody. And you know that the last thing that this government or anybody else wants to do is to raise the consciousness level of poor people in this country. Because if you can decide that this is not a black issue or this is not a white issue, it's a poverty issue, and bring us together on the things that we have in common, like we deserve food and shelter and access to education and upward mobility and our voices being heard in the political arena, right? So these are basic things that we're taught that we are entitled to as American. And for a lot of us, no matter what color we are, we're shut out of those things because of our pockets. And what's amazing about this is that after Dr. King died, the Poor People's Revolution had been going on and had gained some traction, but it really didn't do what it was intended to do after his death. But the new Poor People's Campaign is up and it's running and it's being led by Reverend William Barber. And look him up, go to the website, poorpeoplescampaign.org or you can follow the Women's March movement because they have an upcoming march again on I believe the 21st in Nevada. I won't be attending that one, but do what you can in your community where you can. There's so many things that we can do that we don't do when it comes to being able to be engaged in our community and making a, a huge difference where we can and start out small. You don't have to be a social worker in order to do it. You can do what you can where you can. So this has been our episode of Black Therapist Podcast and bye-bye. Be well. You've listened to another episode of the Black Therapist Podcast. Once again, I'm your host, Nikita Banks, licensed clinical social worker. And this is Black Therapist Podcast, formerly Black in Therapy. If you are looking for any information, any resources about today's show, or if you just want to drop a line and say, hey, and subscribe to our mailing list, you can do so at our website, blacktherapistpodcast.com. You can send us emails at blacktherapistpodcast at gmail.com. And if you enjoyed what you heard, today please like comment share and subscribe because we want the show to grow as organically as we possibly can and we cannot do that without you thank you for listening be well